Good morning, friends. Today's message is, why do we do what we do? Our mission is to what? Restore. The text, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 23. Now, last Sunday at Praise and Worship, Pastor Mark shared the story of Restore, the new mission plant that we're working on. Now, he could have titled his message, What Are We Planning to Do? Well, in these next weeks, I want to dive a little bit deeper. Today, we're going to ask, why do we do what we do? And then next week, how do we do what we do? Now, today, we're going to reflect on a very familiar Bible story. You can read it in Matthew chapter 4. It's Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he calls out to Peter and Andrew, follow me. And immediately, they left their boats and began to follow him. Now, there's no reason to think that this was the very first time that they had ever seen or heard Jesus. According to verse 17 in this chapter, he'd already been preaching in the area, and no doubt they'd heard him talk. But when Jesus said to them, follow me, this was a moment of decision. It was their chance to make the transition from being mere listeners in the crowd to being committed disciples, fully devoted followers. And when Jesus called them, he called them to a vision of what their lives could become, lives of purpose. Now, in other words, he told them why they should do it. Verse 19, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And in just a few words, he outlined the life of every Christ follower, a life that answers the question why we do what we do. And like the call to his original disciples, Jesus also calls us to three different things. He calls us to a life of purpose. He calls us to a life of accomplishment. And he calls us to a life of vision. Now, we're not simply, uh, we don't simply drift from day to day. He wants us to live with a sense of mission, a sense of determination to accomplish something of lasting value. Now, this reminds us of what that vision is, and we're going to look at three elements of it. The why we do what we do. Now, these three elements apply to the church and, of course, to the individuals who make up the church, the body of Christ. And if we keep these fresh in our minds, we're going to avoid the travesty of just becoming a life-saving station that no longer saves lives. Way too many of those. Well, first of all, our mission is to change, and I'm going to probably put it this way, our mission is to restore lives. See, your ministry, the ministry of this church, of all churches, and certainly the goal of restore, is all about changing lives. It's not about a building. It's not about accumulating money. It's not about earning accolades, pats on the back, or how many programs we have, or how good our coffee is, or <clears throat> whether we have nice donuts. It's about changing or restoring lives. Now, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, he, he's saying, instead of doing something temporary, I can show you how to live a life that will have impact for eternity. And friends, we all have a built-in need to live lives of significance. And when we do the Lord's work, the need is met because our mission is about restoring or changing lives. You know, it's just as simple. If we're not involved in work that promotes positive change in the lives of other people, we're not doing ministry. So maybe we need to ask some serious questions. Are we reaching people for Jesus? And I pray that the answer is always yes. 
Are we helping people grow in their Christian life? Are we discipling people in the faith so that they evangelize and in turn evangelize people who in turn are discipled to become evangelists? Are we empowering people to becoming better parents and better spouses and better employees and better friends and better sons and daughters, better neighbors and on and on and on? Are we restoring broken lives with words of healing? Like I said at the beginning, our mission is to help change lives. And primarily that involves leading people to a life-changing connection with Jesus the Christ. It's a life that leads away from condemning to a life of gospel. And believe me, we have way too much condemning going on in the world today. And sadly, even from people who call themselves Christ followers. We need to be gospelers. That's what it means to be fishers of men. That is what we are supposed to be doing. Now, second of all, our mission is to restore the hurting. In verses 23 and 24, Jesus went throughout Galilee, healing every disease and sickness. It says, people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. God only knows what those diseases were. And he mentions some of them. Some had severe pain. He brought the demon-possessed, those who were having seizures, the paralyzed, and Jesus healed them. Now, can you imagine this? People with every kind of affliction coming to Jesus, and he healed them. Now, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, the disciples continued that healing ministry. And lest we forget, friends, God still heals today, and we are to continue that ministry. Now, I know that we all know of examples of people who prayed to be healed but weren't. Just as we know of farmers who pray for rain and didn't get rain or teams who prayed to win a ball game but they lost anyway. But just because some of our prayers weren't answered the way we think they should have been answered does not mean that God has stopped intervening in the lives of his people. Now, sadly, some people today believe that God no longer heals people. They say he used to be willing to heal people, but not anymore. And I don't know where you get that idea. And yet I've read arguments to support this, and frankly, the arguments that people put up don't hold any water. And when I think about people who say God no longer heals, I think of, of a Greek word and a Hebrew word. The Greek word is hogwash, and the, and the Greek word is baloney. Now, friends, God isn't any less powerful or any less compassionate than he was 2,000 years ago. Neither does the Bible teach that God ever intends to stop intervening in our lives with his power and his mercy. See, our mission, I mean, what, what it is that we're to do is to continue the work of Jesus to offer healing to people who hurt. I mean, even without the flash or the hype of what we sometimes see on these healing services on television, we can pray for those who need healing. And the results are still nothing short of amazing. See, even though it's exciting to hear about someone whose broken body was mended by the power of God, it's even more exciting to hear about someone whose broken life was mended by the power of God because that's something no doctor can do on his own. Now, I'm, I'm happy when I hear about somebody who's healed of a sickness, but I get really charged up when I hear about a marriage brought back from the dead or a broken family restored to unity. Or a discouraged person who discovers joy and optimism and hope through the presence of God in their lives. I mean, these are, in many respects, the greatest miracles of all. 
And we have all been called to the ministry of Jesus. We've been called to heal. We've been called to restore the hurting, the broken. And while we pray for their healing, we're called to offer them comfort during their affliction. I mean, if someone we know is fighting cancer or going through a divorce or battling COVID or facing unemployment, we're to pray for God to heal that situation and offer them encouragement and offer them comfort and offer them emotional support every step of the way. I mean, if somebody goes off the deep end and commits some stupid sin that wrecks their life, you pray that God will restore them. And that that he will help them pick up the pieces as you minister to them and offer encouragement and offer support every step of the way. But I got to tell you, friends, that's messy ministry. I mean, there are people in this community who are hurting and broken. And it's not just Hollister. It's not just Branson. It's not just Branson West. But it's, it's Taney County. It's all of Missouri. It's the entire world. Now, maybe people who are suffering or hurting or broken... You know, uh, maybe they brought it on themselves, but maybe they didn't. See, either way, our mission is to do what we can to help them find wholeness and restoration, and most importantly, to experience the fullness of God in their lives. When we stop caring about those who hurt or who are broken or who are forgotten, we cease to be a life-saving station, and we become nothing more than a social club. Our mission is to change lives. Our mission is to heal and restore the hurting. Now, third, our mission is to teach the word of God. In other words, we need to learn how to gospel people and not condemn people. In verse 23, it says Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Now, while there was an emphasis in Jesus' ministry on healing, there was even more of an emphasis on teaching. See, whenever a crowd gathered around him, he taught them. He opened up the word of God to them. Now, in the chapter that follows our text today, you begin to see the core of his teaching. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It deals with tough issues, which is why our mission, the Restore Mission, The praise and worship mission must be to teach the word of God, not just in a building, but learn to do it in every way and everywhere. Now, you might ask, why do we do this? Well, we teach the Bible because the Bible teaches us how to live. We teach the Bible because it compels us. It compels us to address some issues that we might be tempted to sidestep. Now, a very good friend of mine, Dr. Harry Went, the author of The Crossways Material, told me and so many people, when you work the word, the word works you. Let me say that again. When you work the word, the word works you. Now, in my work as a field consultant for Church Doctor Ministries, I had a pastor tell me one time that he does not preach on certain passages. He doesn't preach on certain topics. And I said, why? And he said, because they just stir up confusion. But friends, hear me well. He's missing the point. The reason we teach the word of God is to eliminate confusion in people's lives. Now, certainly, let's be honest. 
There are some Bible passages that can be interpreted in a variety of different ways. But when we teach these passages faithfully, when we dive and take deep dives into the biblical narrative and we do it faithfully and we are honest about our struggles to understand them, one of the byproducts that we is that we lose some of the arrogance. We stop acting like we know everything there is to know. When we teach the Bible, there is some, we are sometimes forced to confront the sin in our own lives, our own spiritual apathy, our lack of faith, our lack of vision in our own lives. In the book of Hebrews, and I, I, I've really enjoyed doing this. I've been, I've been team teaching this at, at another church in town uh, for a long time. But I just love the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active. Friends, this is not dead orthodoxy. This is this is live stuff. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The church that doesn't take that seriously, a church that doesn't take seriously its commitment to the word of God and the mission he has called us to do runs the risk of being obsolete and nothing more than just a social club. The believer who doesn't make a fundamental effort to learn and to know and then teach the word of God runs the risk of becoming ineffective in their own discipleship life. So what am I saying today? Well, I'm saying if you want to change lives, you do it by knowing and teaching and sharing the word of God. If you want to heal hurts and restore broken lives, you do it by knowing and teaching the word of God. Matthew says that Jesus went about teaching and preaching the good news. Friends, let's never forget that our message is good news. It's a message of hope. It's a message of forgiveness. It's a message of reconciliation. It's a message of mercy. And it's a message of restoration. Our message is very simple, really, when you think about it. it our message is that God loves you. And that Jesus came to help you live your life to the fullest, to give you peace and joy and meaning. Now, his love is so powerful that nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing in the world can separate us from it. That's good news. That's the message that drives us towards fulfilling our mission and vision in life. I mean, we can't allow ourselves to lose sight of the ministry to which we've been called, whether it's here at Praise and Worship or it's going to be at Restore or wherever God puts us as a church and as individuals. Matthew chapter 4 ends this way. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is why we do what we do. It's about people. It's about helping people change. It's about healing their hurts. It's about teaching them the truth. It's about restoring their broken lives. Now, we don't do this for our glory. We do it for their good and for the glory of God. We do it to extend the name of Jesus and to extend his kingdom. And this is the essential part of our mission. This is why we do it. And we do it in the name and in the power 
of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.